<laughs> okay, cool. All right, give me three seconds. Three. Really? Like, once I press, like, once I hit three, like, of my car, there's a car that just punched. Okay, give me another three seconds. <laughs> What's up, everyone? This is Race to the Finish. I just want to take a quick second to thank everyone uh, for sticking with the show just for so long. I know I haven't been putting out episodes uh, regularly how I used to, but, you know, honestly, with everything that's going on in the world, you know, we tend to be caught up in many different things. And so we're going back to the, the normal formula, how, but you know, as compared to what we did last week. So I also want to thank everyone for tuning into Black Testimony. Uh, the amount of feedback that I've gotten was incredible. And uh, I really do ask that you still continue to listen to it, to check out everyone that was featured on that episode and support their platforms. And so for this week, I wanted to uh, do an episode with a local organization that I, I just became a part of, but you know, put together by these fine folks here. And so I'm bringing on Chance, Tati, Phil, Kalia, and Dorian, uh, they are all part of an organization called Safer Heights, and we're going to be talking a little bit about what they're all about, what their mission is, what the vision is, on, is and all that. But I want to give some time for everyone to go ahead and introduce themselves. So for whoever wants to go first, I'm just going to put Chance on the spot. So go ahead, Chance. Hi, what's up, everyone? My name is Chance. <clears throat> I'm a black Palestinian organizer based in Cleveland. Um, and I am a co-founder of Save for Heights, and I'm also a part of some other Palestinian organizations and part of the Palestinian organizing scene in Cleveland. So thank you for allowing me to be on your podcast, Carlos. Uh, I'll pass it off to Dorian. Hello, my name is Dorian. I am a social activist as well as a community organ organizer, uh, also a musician. So happy to be a part of a group like Safer Heights where we can actually make change in, a, in our own community. Thank you. Um, hi, I'm Tatiana. My friends call me Tati. She, her pronouns, because I think that's important. Um, I am a community organizer. I am based in Cleveland, Ohio. I do a lot of work around a lot of different campaigns, but most of my campaigns center Black Lives and um, how we can just be successful and free going forward. And I would like to let my work speak for me as I have conversations. So I'd like to go ahead and pass this to Phil. Uh, hi, Deliho. Uh, I am also part of Safer Heights, as Carlos has said. Uh, I do the research for them, or, you know, just most of the research, I guess. Uh, it's all a team effort. I'm also the president of Downhill Collective. And I work at Spin Cycle Records. That's just my resume. It's not real jobs, but uh, yeah, you know, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> First time caller, long time fan. Yeah, you know that stuff. I'll pass it off now to Kalia. <laughs> Law student. Um, but yeah, uh, hi everybody. I'm Kalia. Um, she, her pronouns, born, raised, and based in Cleveland, Ohio. I'm a digital organizer, a graphic designer, and I am part of the Safer Heights Steering Committee. So this will be fun. I'm excited to have this conversation. Let's go ahead and get started. I just, I know that like what you all are about just because like I've been coming to a few meetings and just talking to Chance all the time. 
um, and Tati, what is the organization and what do you aim, what do y'all aim to accomplish? Safer Heights is a group of young people coming from Cleveland Heights. I didn't mean to cut you off chance if you were about to go in. No, um, right. It's all you. You're right, co-founder. All right. So Safer Heights is a group of young people from Cleveland Heights who have decided to take, uh, ha- have decided to create change in our own community, basically. Uh, right now, during this whole COVID stuff, you know, not a lot of people are working and a lot of people have opportunities to actually do things in their community like they never have before. Also with the public um, murders of black men and women across this country, now is the time to make an effort to change this country. And if it doesn't happen now, I personally don't think it's gonna happen. So it's up to us young people in this group to, to create a change in the city that we come from. We are committed to community empowerment and building a safer heights for our black residents specifically, and ultimately for all residents. Very cool. And so I think what I noticed mostly about the organization is that yes, it's like, it's very, it's young led, it's also black led. And that, you know, there's a big priority in like um, focusing mostly on the liberation of black lives, protecting black lives and such. Um, I guess like in a city like Cleveland Heights, I don't, I wasn't like, I wasn't, I didn't grow up there or anything like that. I just only been around the Heights because I went to college up there. So I wasn't under the impression that it's a very like a black city, I guess you can say, or like that has many people of color. I noticed that there are a lot of outsiders because people moved to the city for, um, for college and such. So how do you expect to like, I guess, break through to people in terms of support? Um, I know that like, I kind of struggle with that just like with my own organization, like in Lorraine. So I guess I'm, I really want to know, like, how how do you guys, um, how do you all like really expect to like garner a lot of support because there's just so much pushback from white folks? Um, that's a good question, Carlos. And I think that, um, the answer is kind of based in our community. So a lot of um, our community here is, it's about 50% white and 50% black, I would say. Um, And Cleveland Heights is one of the most like progressive like areas, progressive cities in probably like Northeast Ohio. So people really get behind like these new causes and they're willing to get behind people from their community that want to strive for change and they're really they're really willing to support those from their community um i remember a couple years back when we had uh there was a shooting at this uh restaurant called britain's colony um on lee road and after that there was a vigil and there was a um there was a vigil and there was also like a memorial where hundreds of people came out within the community to support um, the owner who had uh, been killed as well as like supporting like everyone in the community in that area. So Cleveland Heights is very like, we're a very like interconnected community and that has been I think a driving force in some of our success within Cleveland Heights. I got you. And I was able to see that too. Uh, so I didn't know that like, you know, the 
like the actual like in, in like community like that lives in Cleveland Heights are 50 percent white, fifty percent black. If that's what I understand correctly, yeah. And so, yeah. yeah? Okay. So and I didn't know that. So that's a very black city. It's a pretty mixed city. And the school mm-hmm. systems are mostly um, black, if I'm correct, because uh-huh. a lot of people pull their kids out and there's like, you know, charter systems and private schools. So Cleveland Heights has, contrary to popular beliefs, a huge black population. Yeah. And um, that's why it's important for us, for an organization like this, to focus on black folks' lives, not just in urban areas, but in suburban areas that still are being attacked and still are being oppressed. Because the myth is that we don't exist here, but we do. Yeah, and I think, I think, like, I just, I just put it out there, just what my own perception of what the city was, because, I mean, I wasn't raised there, I wasn't, like, I I wasn't really, like, really as integrated in the city at all, so, like, I had my own perception because of the people that I was around, and so, I'm glad I asked, because now it paints a, it paints, like, a more clear picture, like, um, what exactly is going on, and so, when I, uh saw like the pro like the protest that was put on and such i was like really surprised to see like all of these all of, like a bunch of people uh show out like in support of of the cause but from what i understand like that was really like your first action as an organization so like what did that look like putting that together and what did you want like out of that protest like coming out of it like what was the goal so let me let me put a little bit of backstory about this protest. There was actually another organization, not even an organization, another group of individuals that organized a protest within Cleveland Heights. And so we, as like part of the community, um, went to this protest because this was right at the height of all the protests in Cleveland and around the world and everything. So we were like, very excited to be a part of something in our city and be a part of the movement. But when we went there, um, we were being like escorted by police. Um, and we were kneeling with the police as well. And we were, um, there wasn't room for us as community members to have a space and to talk and to have like our voices heard. And whenever we would raise those, those challenges at the protest, it was always like, please be quiet. Like we need to like let the organizers talk. And I remember at one point, um, at one point we were telling the organizers, we were like, we can't hear you. And they said, well, move closer instead of speaking up themselves or, and then like, 30 seconds later, they were like, move back. You're too close. So in response to that protest, it was definitely like not what we wanted to see out of our set, out of our city. And we felt that personally, like we needed to have a protest that was representative of the community that was like living here in Cleveland Heights. And so after that, we got together um, as a group and we decided to move forward with hosting our own protests where we wanted to, where we wanted to center the black youth and black um, community members in uh, our city. And so that was kind of how a March for a Safer Heights was born. And then following that, 
and following the success of that march, we wanted to form an organization that would continue to advocate and strive for um, the liberation of black people in our community. And that is where Safer Heights is at right now. And we're working on projects um, such as our Juneteenth uh, barbecue, our March for a Safer, Safer Heights, and going into our screen printing uh, party, which is this Sunday, um, July 26th at 2 p.m. at the Coventry Peace Park. So these are the kind of events that we want to bring like our community with us on um, because we can't do anything as just 15 individuals. We need to have our, like, and I'm saying, like, we don't ha just have, like, 15 individuals, but we have a group, like, a central group that is doing, like, a lot of work, but we also have, like, hundreds of people supporting us, but we can't make that change that we want with just a small group of people. Like, we needed to bring our community with us and progress as a whole community, not just us as individuals. And to speak on that change, um, it's not just about, of course, black liberation, um, but, and, but also black joy, but also to heal. <laughs> there needs to be some uh, healing because these, these marches, whether that it's ours or the protest that was here that inspired ours because we wanted to make one that you know, we didn't feel suppressed by the police presence. Um, but I think the importance of having those spaces isn't just to be there for clout, for, you know, it's so that you feel like you're, that you're a part of something. But I think what we've noticed over the years um, and what feels so different about this time is that we're done. Like, we aren't trying to come back and do this a year from now. Uh, and keep on having these same protests and, and marches like, but we, we will, but we want to actually be making those, putting in the effort and like working with the, our elected officials in our own city where we can actually see the change that we will be pushing for. And we're trying to get this done so that we actually get, so that the black community can heal. And then also that non-black communities can understand how their actions and, you know, racial bias has had a huge impact on the success of black people. And yeah, that's also why we have uh, several groups. We have our um, community, a community outreach group, and then we also have um, a political education group. So we aren't just here to show up at marches or to, you know, do events. We're here to actually make change happen and to teach the community to be that change and like i think you raise a very good point Kalia, about like people doing things for clout right now and i feel like that was almost what that previous protest was about it was for clout and a lot of the movement right now is like Black Lives Matter has become this sort of trend and we want to get away from that. Uh, we want like there to be actual like actions and demands and like putting pressure on the establishment as like a city. Um, instead of just saying like, yo, like, well, let's go take these pictures at this protest. 
because we don't have anything to do because we've been locked in the house for like two months because of COVID and then like going home and like literally doing nothing or like people just like posting black squares on their like Instagram and thinking that that's like social activism and thinking that they're making a change. Like you're not doing anything. You're like, you need to be out there. And like, I think it goes beyond just like, voting or just going beyond like um posting your black square or like taking your picture at a protest it it really revolves around like are you willing to do the work in the meantime like when the protest isn't going on like but are you also going to be organizing that protest and getting your vision across as well like we need to have like both components and yes, I'm, I'm feeling this because like we don't want to just see your social media posts. We don't want to just see you, you know, at like, you know, at the protest, your black square, any of that stuff. We want to see black folks in Cleveland Heights not getting pulled over by three cops, not uh, having the cops called on them at their own house. We want to stop seeing on uh, like recordings of cops killing black people. Like that shit's traumatic. I don't know if I can cuss on here, but like. Yeah, I, I think I already cussed, so that's fine. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's traumatic. So we that's the change we want to see. It's not just like, oh, we want to see like this elected official or we want to see this trending on Twitter or this black square. We want to see black lives valued as much as all other lives because no lives matter until black lives do. Yeah, I think another important point to make off of that on the flip side to we're not going to like do anything through you posting your square. Also, writing Black Lives Matter on a street in the middle of the fucking city is not going to stop the police from killing me. It's not going to do anything that it needs to do. So, like, we're not just saying we expect our peers and our people to be doing more. We expect our elected officials to be doing more, too, because we see you. We see this fucking shit that you're doing that makes us think that you care, that you care about Black people. Words on a piece of, like, pavement is not going to help me but a different decision from the prosecutor might a different requirement of like you know our elected officials might so those are things that we really need to be looking for and going forward with like what is going to be substantial tangible change in black lives and we expect all of us to be stepping up to plate to get that change so I think that's a good segue into what I want to ask next. Like, what does change look for y'all? I, you know, I get the impression that it's very radical change because we're not talking about, like, social media and paintings and stuff. But while there is power in art, which, I mean, we can get to later, but um, it depends on, like, who's sponsoring that. So, like, I totally, I, I feel like I understand, like, where you're coming from with that. But what I want to know is what does change look like? Like, how do you – well, that's the question. Like, what does change look like to Safer Heights? Well – Two things, and I will love it if somebody else wants to jump in, because I have two things that I think are very safer heights based, and then one thing that I feel like as an organizer and just as a person trying to be more educated on what's happening in my local community. Um, change looks like um, cops no longer being inside of Cleveland Heights schools. Uh, change looks like the city budget 
the not a huge chunk of it going over to uh, fund the police and instead that being invested in uh, the black communities within Cleveland Heights or to the schools, to the public school systems. So that's, that's what two ways I could see change happening immediately in Cleveland Heights that would not only make black folks feel safer, but um, it will also um, like put more accountability on us as community members to be a part of that change. And with that said, that leads into my third thing of, and I'm working on this still for myself, I would like for everybody to know who their city council members are, who their who are the judges that like they're voting for. Cause I know with this primary ballot, um, half of the like options for judges, they were running unopposed. So there's a lot of lot that's happening and we all know how the our criminal justice system in general has like targeted the black community and has like and continues to take funds away from the black community because of just their the for-profit system. Um, but I think if we could know more about that so that when these like, um, like when police brutality is happening, uh, we can actually hold them accountable, but not just of just trusting our judges to do that automatically. We will know for sure because we picked those judges. We were the ones who like voted for them because we believed in what they were doing. So I think as a community, we also need to be clear about like what we want and sticking to that so that when we are having, uh, when we, when like the election happens or when people are deciding to run or even people like with on our spaces want to run for something, uh, we can support that and make sure that they're aligned with our values and our goals. So I, I really do like appreciate everything that you're sharing because I think from what I'm gathering and please like, you know, feel free to add on if I'm not understanding correctly. It's, it, there's a lot of value about educating the community around like who are the stakeholders, who are the decision makers and how much power do we have to really influence those changes. And so um, what I wanted to talk about is uh, the demands that y'all have already presented to your community, um, a list of what changes that you want to see for the community that are ultimately going to uh, protect black lives and, 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 and liberate black lives. What are some of those demands, um, if not, you know, whatever you feel like talking about um, that you feel are going to bring um, effective, most meaningful change both now, but in the future. Uh, yeah, I, I can chime in now. Uh, so we have 10 demands. Um, the, uh, Kalia already mentioned one demand and it's uh, removing police officers from the schools uh, and just all around like defund the police because it's a broken system. There, it's, it's not about like rotten apples anymore. The whole tree is rotting and that tree needs to be cut down and it needs to be, <laughs> And we need to change the entire system top over. But locally, it's just pretty much about uh, just common sense police reforms uh, and just transparency with the community. We want to know what's in their curriculum. We want to know what they're being taught. We're, we want to know what their philosophy is behind their training and why they're doing this, their warrior training or their guardian training, whatever that is. We want to know how much money they're making and why they are getting that much money because honestly it's just absolute 
it's just bullshit, really. It's just, like, there's no reason why, like, if I have a problem with animals and I call the police in, in Cleveland Heights, the police, or, in, you know, they come. It should be, like, animal services or some shit. And that's what I'm saying. They have a lot of services. They do a lot of things, and those things don't need to be done by the police. And, uh, yeah, but that's most of our demands. It's just kind of, like, common sense form, body cameras, budget reports, uh just redirection of time and effort, just common sense stuff. And that redirection of time and effort, I think this is where this, once again, when it comes to like community education, cops are scary as fuck to black people. Like, <laughs> duh, like they're scary as fuck. You see these videos, you see black folks getting killed in their own homes. Like, it's, it's, if you want this, the community to feel safer for everybody, and especially in a community that is like 50-50, then you, like, taking away the funds from a, like, basically, they're, uh, I, I, I want to call them terrorists, but they aren't, like, I'm not full-blown, like, full-blown terrorists, but, like, they're terrorizers. They're terrorists. Know, the, <laughs> thank you, Chance. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, like, I think that that's just a way of, that you can also support as a non-black person. And I'm black, by the way, because you can't see me. Um, it would be a way of supporting uh, the black community as a non-black person is by not having as many cops around because they're scary and they kill black people. And I guess like that's the disconnect when your skin color isn't, you know, dark enough for you to feel that fear but if you have black people in your life who you care about then that is like ask them have well maybe don't ask them leave them alone right now it's hard yeah i i definitely i i guess where i can align is i think about the kids i know i know that y'all were talking about getting the cops out of the schools and uh some ways that i try to have those conversations with you know people around me are like like would you feel comfortable like a cop doing the job of a, of a tutor or a cop doing the job of a teacher. Like everyone is like, of course not, you know, um, you know, mental health has been like a, a center point in like recent things that have been trending on Twitter, especially around Kanye. Like, um, you, you know, like if, if someone is in immediate danger, like to themselves, really the only way that you could go about like solving that problem is like immediately like with quick action is by calling the cops. But we all know the cops are not equipped to handle those issues, especially um, with how they've traditionally treated black people since this country's inception. And so I think about um, social workers and like how they're not valued and respected in our society and how, um, and how, like, how are we expecting like a lot of social workers to continuously like take on a lot of that labor to solve society's problems when there isn't the financial backing to that. So like I'm very much a proponent of like me personally abolish, abolishing the police as a whole. And I know that defunding the police is a step towards that like abolitionist process. So um, that's, that's kind of like how I feel about all of that. Um, yeah, Carlos, I think that that's a great transition. Well, not even transition. That's a great point. I also am an abolitionist at heart. I think that in this organization, we work from a reformist um standpoint a lot because that is 
what's going to make the most immediate change in our community and how we can really um, start to get a little bit of transparency with even what's going on. But I also believe in um, police and prison abolition. I think that these um, systems have consistently and since the beginning of time been used to oppress Black people and people of color as well in this country, from convict leasing to catching slaves to anything else, down to today. Like, you know, our history is really bloody and our history is really dirty. And our history is steeped in that overmobilization of the brown communities. So I don't think that you can really adequately fix something that already feels like it's here to kill you. I've never been comfortable around a police officer in my life. And I actually have had very limited negative interactions with the police, a few, but um, they're limited compared to a lot of my peers, a lot of other black folks. But that doesn't mean I feel comfortable because it's ingrained in me that these people are not here to help me. Like, um, one thing that I consistently hear my white peers say is like, we were taught to call the 911 and that these people were supposed to help us. And now I see that these people are not here for us. And one thing I want to be clear is that I never thought these people were here for me. My mother never taught me to call 911. My mother never taught me to ask a police officer for help because that was not realistic for me. I was never going to get help in that situation. I was actually taught when I go in the store, keep my hands out of my pocket so nobody thought I was stealing, especially a police officer. And I had that conversation when I was five. Every single time I've um, been, my mom's been pulled over, she's looked back at me and goes, remember, don't keep your license and your registration in your glove compartment because they're going to think you're going for a gun. And these are consistent um, memories and things in my life. So I think that one thing that Kalia said is to remember that scary are police to black people. One thing that's also important, uh, <laughs> remember the scarier police of black people. One thing that Khalid said is remember that police are scary to black people. Another thing that's really important to remember is that police are terrorists because they've been terrorizing the black community since we can remember and we've been taught that by all of our elders and we're going to continue to experience that because that's what life shows us and just because you were taught that these people make you safe I was taught the opposite so increasing police doesn't help me um, increasing like community policing and getting them in the police, like letting us get to know our police officers, that doesn't help me because the system is meant to hurt me. And we have to go forward with that framework and do our work in that framework. And that's what we need other people to understand when we say listen and understand black people. Um, and to kind of add on to those, uh, to those great points, I, I also want to uh, talk about how the police officers in the schools right now are considered student resource officers or whatever. And they technically do like tutoring, but most of their work is law enforcement stuff. So statistically now, these officers are coming in and they are arresting students over minor offenses when without their presence, it would have just been them being suspended or expelled or something. But now it's just funneling into like the prison or to school the prison pipeline. And the DOG, or DOJ sorry, also did a study on them, and they found that the police officers who are in the school, if it's predominantly white, they feel like they are protecting that school from outside uh, sources. But with predominantly black 
uh, student populations. The police officers there feel that they are policing the students. It is becoming a criminalization of students there, and they are they are afraid of their students. They are there to arrest them and to control them, and that's why, like I said, we should just remove them all entirely. I just remember, like after class, sometimes like I would be driving back to my house, and you know, just to get to my house, it was like down the street from Heights High. And just seeing like cop cars practically everywhere, just watching the kids just walk home from school. And I just like, I grew up in Lorraine. It, it is a very like um, diverse city and it's not, does not have the best school system at all either. Um, but I don't even remember like cops watching us like walk home from school. And I, I don't, I don't remember like who I asked, but I guess the rationale behind it is like, Oh, we just want to prevent fights. It's like people, like they're just walking home from school, like you know, and and I can only imagine, uh, like the the type of mentality that that plants into a child, a black child, of like you know you're being patrolled rather than you know looked after. Um, I remember uh, just seeing like you know talking to a child, a black child who's come up to me after I would I would classify as a very traumatic experience um a traumatic encounter with the police whereas like a friend of his what you know was taken away like in a cop car well it wasn't him he put it upon himself and there was a lot of survivors a survivor's guilt there and so it's like oh well i could have done more like it could have been me put into that cop car instead of my friend like the amount of stress that that's put onto like a 10 year old is absolutely like i don't actually know if he's 10 or not but like i'm just trying to paint a picture that this is a literal child and so um yeah like i definitely can really get behind like that it's like getting cops outside of school because the just the just the 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 system like the the justice system and what it you know what it requires to bring justice to um people i guess you can say it can it can create a lot of traumatic experience especially the children and so um just having them present only perpetuates that yeah and i mean for me i went to cleveland heights high so it was like not one time that I was there did I ever see like a police officer like break up a fight or anything like that. I mean, that was wait, really? Yeah, like because we had like our own like security guards that had been working in the school. Like, I remember we had just spoke to the superintendent today, and I was like, "Yo, like Mr. Lightfoot." I remember Mr. Lightfoot, who was the security guard, and he was like the guy that would break up the fights, he would be talking to the students, everything. And he was like a security guard that we actually like had a relationship with. It wasn't just like the cop that was standing outside because he needed to get like his overtime pay from the school district. Like, because he was just like, that was his task. And they didn't enforce anything. Like, like fortunately at Cleveland Heights High, like, we didn't have like any like school shootings or anything like that, but the resources are there that um, proves that cops are not like adept to like stop or prevent school shootings in themselves. Um, and I think that if a school shooting did happen, I would trust the security guards that I knew were going to have my back no matter what. 
over like some cop that was there for overtime pay. And that's like the honest to God truth. And just to respond, I'm like shocked to hear that, that Cleveland Heights high had, um, security officers, but then did not always break up fights that would happen. Um, I'm saying like the police weren't the ones that the police were weren't the ones they have never broken up a fight at Cleveland Heights. It was always the security guards that were the ones that were doing that. And if that's like used as an argument of like, oh, well, that's why the police need to be there because there's fights there. I went to uh, an all girls school in Cleveland Heights, Beaumont School for Girls, and we, my freshman year, there was a fight. We, we didn't have any officers or anything, anybody, like, and it's obviously, like, a private school, but I don't understand why we're automatically, like, terrorizing people who are going to a public school just because, by having cops there. Um, and then I also wanted to just pull out the fact that um, I think that not many people know about um, the broken windows theory of policing that um, basically it suggests that if you, that if you punish more, uh, I guess, lightweight crimes, I don't know what's a better way of like phrasing it, but like graffiti, uh, loitering, um, just anything that they could like pull you over for, um, that it would prevent a more serious crime from happening. So basically, like, if there's a window broken in a home, it's only a matter of time before all the windows are broken. And that's not how we should be looking at our youth, especially in Cleveland Heights. That's not how we should be looking at black people. And that's just not how we should be looking at anybody. We should, like, that's especially young minds who are growing up and are looking towards, well, and taught in media, movies, and probably school too, that cops are supposed to be there for you. And then you have a cop unnecessarily harass you, at, even though they were just your friend before you turned uh, 13 and hit puberty. Before they start seeing you as a threat versus like the acute black kid. I want to start getting into like some of the stuff that you're using to like back up a lot of your arguments. You know, I know that there's a lot of like personal testimony, but I know that y'all as an organization do a lot of research and it has formulated into like demands. Um, so some of the demands that I think of are like your third demand of like, we demand specific uh, unified guidelines governing the investigation of sexual assault cases. And then like several other demands, it's like like legalize or decriminalizing the possession use of, use of cannabis um, and such like that. And so when it comes to like demands and such like that that don't have directly have to do with the police. Now we're getting into like the whole like governing system and like how things are criminalized or ignored. You know, why is there is like that prioritization around those things? And, you know, why is it within your interest to make like change um, around those topics as well? Um, we can tackle the uh, issue about weed first and just how, um, just in general, like the war on crime, I think, if I remember correctly, I want to say like it's either 4.3 times more um, that uh, African Americans or blacks are arrested for uh, marijuana possession at the, but they're at the same rates of usage than their white counterparts, and that right there is just like a glaring, just kind of like 
Um, just a stat right there. And just the fact that the war on drugs was originally uh, used to, what, just stop the, or, you know, attack the Black Panthers, attack the protesters, and, uh, you know, just massively incarcerate uh, Blacks and stuff. Uh, and in terms of um, what our third demand, it's very specific, but I think nine years ago, um, there was a report on that the police were misfiling these rape charges so that they could get better clearance rates. And, you know, that's like their bread and butter. If they can have a good clearance rate, then they can get more money, more power and stuff. But they misfiled them, and uh, the article didn't really say much. And, uh, you know, we're looking into it. We're trying to do more uh, and figuring it out. But right now, it's just, I don't know. It just seems like oftentimes police officers don't care about black people, and they certainly don't care about women. And they just only give a fuck about, I don't know, other white people and just kind of and the people that they like. But uh, all right. Any more questions? Sorry, I was kind of eating wings while uh, you're asking that question. <laughs> you're all good. I just found it like important to highlight because um, you you know like I, I guess this entire struggle is extremely intersectional. So we can't just look at you know black lives, but all black lives. And so I just remember um, for the screen printing event that's coming up on Tuesday or not Tuesday Sunday Sunday. Um, that, you know, so like, you know, I designed something and some of the, there was like some prompts and like some ideas and such, like with the third demand for investigation of sexual assault cases, you know, some of the examples that, that, um, were prompted to us, it's like protect black women, defend black women or uh, black women matter. And I think it's because black women are disproportionately ignored in all aspects of, uh, you know, of justice, whether it be like through the judicial system or, um, you know, or within communities, like even in organizing communities, um, that like black women are continually displaced and dis yes, disproportionately um, ignored. And so uh, that's why I really wanted to bring it up is because if, if, we're, if, it's, if communities are able to notice these problems, then it's sure as hell taking place in the go like government systems. And so I just wanted to, you know, highlight that because I'm glad that you got y'all are bringing that up. Um, so there was something else that I wanted to. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So like the time and place um, of where the screen printing screen printing event is actually happening is Sunday, 2 p.m. Coventry Peace Park. Uh, I will be there. If you are local, please show up um, in in support. You know, the recommended uh, donation is twenty five dollars. Um, bring your own t-shirt and yeah, go ahead. And please wear a mask. It's a global pandemic outside. Yeah. We are not like, uh, certain other restaurants that don't <laughs> value, uh, the protection of others. Um, uh, you know, almost comes... 25th. <laughs> but, uh, what was I going to say? And so I also really appreciate that you brought up like the decriminalization of weed because, I was going to make a point to what Kalia was saying about like petty crimes, like and misdemeanors that kids are really just kind of being targeted and treating worse, treated worse than the, what they should be. And we, as, like as Ohioans, we all got to get with the program. You know, we all got to look at these boomers and say, "Yo, 
weed isn't going to kill you. Like, it's literally not going to do that. And so, like, this whole gateway drug, um, you know, the stigma that's going around that all of these, like, Ohioan politicians consistently use to try to, to try to push this whole thing that it needs to be criminalized is just whack. And so, but that's, that's my own bias. How, this, how I understand that this trickles down is that kids, it's easier to get your hands on weed than it is to get on alcohol. So kids are going to smoke. And so while I'm not trying to justify or condone children smoking, you know, you get them into this prison, the cradle of the prison pipeline. They're less likely to finish their, their, their education. They're less likely to go on and accomplish their own dreams if you're putting them in jail. And so um, they, I do really do believe that uh, weed needs to be decriminalized. And so, uh, yeah, that's how kind of feel. Uh, Dorian, I'm going to call you out, bro. What you got to say? Big man. Um, sorry for not being so vocal. I was just so into what my colleagues were, were speaking about. I appreciate it. I definitely feel strongly about the decriminalization and the legalization of marijuana not only in Ohio, but nationally, I feel that scientifically it has been proven at this point that weed is not bad for you. It in fact has medicinal benefits. And the fact that certain people aren't even willing to look into that proves that there is some type of agenda in the background that has nothing to do with weed being a supposed gateway drug or whatever. They're trying to stop that money because pharmaceutical companies will not make as much once we start getting into this marijuana. You can shoot me right there, or you can believe me. But if you go into the research of this shit, you will find this to be a fact. You will find pharmaceutical companies literally funding campaigns against marijuana and other things because it takes money from what they can possibly make in their drugs that are essentially heroin that they're selling to people, and people are getting addicted to it. And there's no, and at the end of the day, like, come on now, we all know what it is. We all know what this plant does for us. It warms the soul. It's, it's, it's something that it shouldn't even be talked about at this point. Like decriminalization, yes, but like let's get this national legalization going big time. Like it's up to these people who actually are involved in the marijuana community to spread enlightenment, to spread the knowledge of the, the shit that's going on, the actual facts of the matter, and teach these people who – who just don't know, who are ignorant and, and are just believing what other people say and be like, yo, uh, marijuana is actually helping plenty of people with epilepsy currently in places in states where it's legal. It's helping people with substance abuse problems. And not only, you don't even have to get high off of marijuana for it to have a medicinal benefit. You can use CBD, which does not get you high. It's not THC and it can definitely help. So, I mean, that's what I got to say. You know, anybody who's against marijuana right now, we know exactly what you're on. We know what time you're on. <laughs> uh, just to, yes, I completely agree. I also support the legalization and decriminalization of uh, marijuana all across this country. Yes, um, ma'am. But one thing I do want to mention is you know, not to bring up black trauma again, but <laughs> maybe that's a way that, you know, people cope. Uh, everybody has their own coping mechanisms, whether you, you know, make a drink or you um, hit a bong. So there are medicinal, and I'm not, and I actually don't even want to compare weed to alcohol because alcohol is actually like 
actual poison that you're drinking. Um, and I, and I say that as someone who drinks, but I also want to bring up the fact that, uh, with weed becoming legal in so many parts of the country that there are these, um, corporations and big businesses that are now like, and even some who are connected to big tobacco who are now making huge profits off of the legalization of weed. And there's still people in prison, in jail over not just selling weed, but also just possession and how often, and like, usually that's just off of a plea deal just because folks can't afford to, um, they can't afford to pay their bail or they're afraid that if they bring some, bring their case to trial, that they're going to be, um, that they'll, they'll end up getting like 10 years because they stack the case. They stack, the prosecutor stacks everything against them and throws so many charges at them just to get anything and just also to pressure them to take that plea deal. And, um, that's why there, and there's a, just a huge amount of black people who are in jail right now over petty drug crimes. And it's just hypocritical that like now that, I mean, and I support legalization, but we need to also be letting those people out of jail. And then one thing that I did want to bring up too, Carlos, that you mentioned, um, because uh, I think that we should put a little bit more attention on this and I'm glad that you brought it up is um, just protecting black women and valuing black women because I, I, I know with my mother that her, she almost died giving birth to my sister. So before I, and I'm, I'm the youngest. And that was, I grew up hearing that story. So like that trauma was passed down to me of where I was always told like that was my sister's birth story of her almost dying because the doctor wasn't like wasn't there, let alone the nurses did not like the nurses weren't paying attention to her. And because of and, and so when we say like black lives matter and like black women matter um, and then just black not, I don't even want to just say women, because also black trans lives matter. Um, when we say that, it's because in so many ways, not just uh, police brutality or police murder, like or murdering uh, cops who kill black people. Um, it's not just there, but it's also in our medical system. It's also in our legal system. It's also in with within the black community too, where we need to be like valuing each other and uplifting black women and also just in all communities. So um, I don't know if Tati wants to speak any more on, uh, you know, hearing from a fellow black woman and our uh, unofficial official leader. You're muted. I want to make it clear to the listeners of this podcast that I am not the leader of Safer Heights. We do not have a leader. <laughs> okay. Second, um, I do want to touch first on um, the miracle marijuana thing and also come back to, or just marijuana, decriminalizing marijuana, and then come back to protecting Black women because that's important. Um, I do also just want to make sure that it's known and understood that weed 
is decriminalized in Ohio and then counties and cities, I mean cities, not counties, on a basis go through how they're going to affect the criminalization in their city. So weed is decriminalized in Ohio and it's not decriminalized in Cleveland Heights. So it's not an excessive ask for us to ask them to decriminalize weed because it's shit that the state has already done. Um, also, I would like to ditto everything Kalia said protect black women. Black women are mad important. I think it's crazy that every black woman probably has a story about their mom, their auntie, or their grandma not being um, almost dying in childbirth because my mom lost three babies and almost died two times. Um, and I'm the oldest of seven. Well, there are eight of us. Um, and my family in general, um, my dad and my mom had children separately. And two of my dad, the women that my dad had children with, also almost lost their children. So like the commonness of black women not being believed and heard and almost dying in situations that most countries have gotten rid of these risks, it's crazy. Um, also like the commonness of us ignoring that black women are dying at the same rates as black men. Like the fact that George Floyd had to die for us to go back and talk about Breonna Taylor. And now she's a meme. Like we're not out here fighting in these streets the way we were for George Floyd. We're not burning shit down the way that we were for George Floyd. We're saying drink some water and arrest the cops who killed Breonna Taylor. Um, you know, you're right. Oh, fuck. It's just very different how we treat black women, how we protect black women, how we value black women. And it's crazy because for life, we have been the birth of everything. Not only are black people the first people, but we fed your babies, okay? We watched your babies, we took care of you, and we've continued to be devalued. And it's something that has consistently never changed, no matter what progress we get. And at this point, we're not taking it no more. Also, we're not about to continue to put our lives on the line for people who are not putting their lives on the line for us. So something I have that's a little bit controversial is I don't think that black women should be at the front of protests no more because y'all are not fighting for us the way that we are fighting for you and we are willing to die for you. So until you prove to me that you are willing to die for me, why am I putting my life on the line in that way? I am doing work in my community. I'm a member of Safer Heights. I remember all types of other things. We do a lot of community building, but I'm not going to put my life on the line for a community that has consistently showed me that my life just does not matter to them. And that's that on that. I just want to say uh, thank you, Kalia and Tati, for your transparency and your vulnerability in expressing uh, how you feel about all of this. And I just want to say to the listeners, like, you know, when we talk about these issues, when especially when black women are opening up, you know, about these issues and how um, they feel, especially during these times, it's incredibly important to um, decenter yourself and what your what your opinions are and what your understanding is, and to value what they say and kind of address what our own biases are, um, and that goes in all spaces, whether or not you're really with the shits now or you are with the shits, and you know, none of us have a complete understanding on how everyone feels and you know if we really are co-conspirators we have to do that um what i thank you so thank you so much for sharing all of that i think it's incredibly important for all of us to understand um how we can support more and such so i kind of want to take those sentiments and kind of transition to 
what is what does the light at the end of the tunnel look like? Like what 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 is the vision of Safer Heights? Like how do you know that that the organization has achieved um, prosperity? I don't know about prosperity. I don't know if that's the right word, but success. Like how do you know that you're really accomplishing what you're setting out to do? Um, and what do you want at the end of the day as an organization? Um, <clears throat> I think a, a good start is that you know, Safer Heights envisions, you know, just generally a Cleveland Heights community where all black people, we're not only just surviving, but we're able to thrive and free to like live joyfully. And with this radical joy that we can just experience on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think that part of that is coming through the achievement of our demands. Um, and then, things that are outside of our demands as well like one of the goals like one of the goals of safer heights is to change uh the school's like curriculum within cleveland heights so we we're centering more black um artists literature everything um so that people are getting like they're seeing more of like our history like as black people in Cleveland Heights and to empower us as a community. And I think that those are like part of like our starting points where we're knowing uh, the goals of Safer Heights are being completed and also like long-term goals as well. Another thing I wanted to say, so if you got a chance, if you guys listened to Carlos's last episode of this podcast and you're consistent listeners like you're supposed to be, you would have heard me personally talk a lot about what it means to be radically joyful and Afrofuturistic. So I think that Safer Heights as an organization in its essence is Afrofuturistic. We are looking forward to the future of Black people and a future where Black people in Cleveland Heights don't have to worry about our safety and don't have to worry about how we feel and how we go through it. And I think the way and the method that Safer Heights does this is through being radically inclusive and radically joyful, as I spoke last week about, because all Black Lives Matter, all Black folks are important to us. And on top of that, we make events and we have a very important we take it very important to have fun. Like, I guess I didn't say that right. We think it's very important to have fun. Um, so we have events that are specifically for making sure that we have the um, community at a barbecue, making sure that we can have a movie night. Even when we have events that are fundraisers, we make sure that we have free versions of that so that we include and we are joyful with the people with us and we have options to do that. So I think that it's important to look at that the framework of Safer Heights moving forward is a Afrofuturistic framework that is radically joyful and is always moving towards that goal. I wanted to say that like this is not just for the future, even though uh, we are kind of looking the light at the end of the tunnel. This is a now, like we want this now. We aren't going to be putting up with this like, you know, half-baked, uh, you know, pol policy or just not even policy changes, like uh, forums, just talking about it, just talking and listening about it. You know, like that's what we can do that on a podcast, but we need like our elected officials to actually be doing and taking action, immediate action to make Cleveland Heights safer. 
And I just want to let everybody know that when you get involved in your local government, not, not that many people pay attention. Um, so you should just see, learn about it. Cause I know I didn't know diddly squat before safer Heights when it came to, uh, Cleveland Heights structure, uh, political structure. So, but we have like power, we have influence and like everything that we've been able to create within what, how long has it been? Like a month? Have we had our anniversary yet? Are we almost two months old? I don't think we got anything each other for our anniversary. So oh, we we're, we're still a baby. <laughs> we're still starting out, but you know what? Like, and we're, we're just starting out and we already have this much power and influence. Like if that doesn't speak for itself, then I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to say that once again, so happy to be a part of something that can help the community that I live in and let's do this shit guys. I think we can definitely do this. Shout out to the new people or not new people, but shout out to the people who aren't even like Cleveland Heights, like residents who just, just want to help us out. Like Carlos and Phil, I fuck with y'all the long way. Um, you know, follow us on all social media at Saber Heights. You know what's going on. And um, we also have a GoFundMe for our screen printing event. So uh, if anybody is local, once again, it will be this Sunday, July 26th from 2 to 5 p.m. You can bring your own uh, T-shirt and get it printed for free. Or you could do that and do a, recommend, a recommended donation of $25, uh, and we will have pre-printed t-shirts and masks with uh, some of our demands on there so that you can represent the values of Safer Heights uh, just by getting dressed every day. Um, and that will be at Coventry Peace Park. And our GoFundMe, I believe, somebody else talk while I look up the bit.ly link. Well, you know, GoFundMe is so important because we need donations from the people. If you can't show up physically during this time of need in COVID, then show up with that pocketbook wide open, buddy. <laughs> hey, and I just want to say, too. What'd you say? Open your purse. <laughs> and, yo, listeners, too, like, that's the thing. I tell y'all every episode, read the episode descriptions. That's where these resources are going to be. So, like, you know, I will leave the, the GoFundMe um, in the episode description for those of you that are listening, uh, that are subscribed and all of that. But, uh, yo, I really want to thank all of y'all uh, for really participating in this episode. Um, as I was already saying, uh, is that, like, before I sign off on these interview types, like, type of episodes, I like to prompt, like, if you could say, you know, one last thing before signing off today, what would it be? And so, like, y'all can give any shout-outs, anything that you want to, you know, plug, which we already, we already plug in. But, I mean, y'all as individuals, you know, um, or any thoughts or passions, anything that you have burning inside of you that you want to share before signing off in the episode, uh, I want to leave the floor to all of y'all. So whoever wants to go first, if you feel so inclined to do so, uh, please. Yeah, so, I mean, first of all, make sure that you follow, like, all of Safer Heights, on like all social media so you know what we're up to so you can be at our next event or maybe like you can be involved um personally like i said like i'm also like a palestinian activist in cleveland so 
if you want to learn more about Palestine, follow like organizations like the Palestinian Youth Movement, which is like a Palestinian like group between 18 to 35 with the youth. Um, and we're going to have a chapter soon in Cleveland, hopefully, inshallah, uh, God willing. So keep out for our actions for that. Make sure you're checking out Safer Heights events. Like, make sure that you're doing your part in this black liberation movement right now um, because the movement will not survive without everyone's contribution. We need everyone's support to achieve this black liberation and to achieve uh, Palestinian liberation and to have this type of joint struggle between all of these oppressed groups because we're all fighting against this same oppressive system globally. So we really need to stand in joint struggle with each other and we need to be louder. We need to be more active and we need to be more organized. And uh, I think lastly, I just want to thank Carlos for allowing us to have a voice on this podcast. Um, me and you go way back. So I really appreciate it. Um, I guess I will plug the screen printing event show up y'all open your pockets uh if you can't make it you will be uh pre-printing stuff where you can put in a pre-order also uh share it with your friends and family who uh need to pay some reparations uh and then on top of that i just want to call everybody to get involved uh Call your senators uh, about things. Uh, I'm currently working on an unemployment campaign, and uh, it's ridiculous how, in the time of COVID, how our elected officials have kind of like hidden away. And this is the time for us as people, actually, not even not even just uh, you know with unemployment, but I feel like 2020 has this energy that is just like you need to show the fuck up. And if you aren't going to do it this year, that's saying something. Like, this is history. This is a moment in history. What do you want to be remembered for? And what do you want to tell, you know, your future kids or your future nieces, nephews, or anybody? When somebody asks you, man, 2020, the next generation that comes up, they're like, wow, what was 2020 like? And you're like, I don't know, I was just quarantined or, you know, like, what are you going to tell them? Because it matters for what their future is. And then also uh, the Safer Heights uh, Fund is all lowercase bit.ly backslash Safer HTS Funds. No S at the end. Hey, I mean, in closing, we've talked about so many things. Um, like Chance and I have already said, if you would like to learn more information, find us on social media. Um, I'm personally a musician as well. I'm a part of a collaborative called Downhill Collective. If you would like to follow me, you can follow me at L8NITE underscore DHC on Instagram. Go ahead and pull up. I'm dropping a mixtape called Flat World on August 31st, you know, shamelessly plugging everything I'm involved in. Shout out to Phil for also being the president of Downhill. And, um, you know, we're going to be getting lit. It's going to be an album release party at Kalia House because it's also her birthday. So it's about to be ridiculous. DM me for the, for the info. It's going down. 
Thank you, Carlos, for giving people of color the opportunity to speak their truth. Late night sauce, K. You already know what it is. Thank you, Carlos. I would like to, before I say my last um, statement, make it clear that it is a pandemic and y'all are not invited to Kalia's house. Um, <laughs> however, you can all DM Kalia with the happy birthday. If that's how you feel moved. Maybe slide um, into my Venmo um, or slide into the Safer Heights Fund, the GoFundMe for my birthday, uh, even after sure. If you want to do it after that, my birthday is four days after Kalia's, so we can work it out however we need to. But I do want to say, shameless plug again, about our GoFundMe. I would love for people to, if they can't make it, share it, get it out there, because we have so many projects that we want to do. We have so many ways that we want to get involved in the community, short-term and long-term, from like community gardening to just making sure that we can have um, like food and books and things available for people to getting into schools and making sure they have the resources that they need. We really need help from our community to be able to give these services to the community. And even if you can't be out there with us, you can help us in those ways. So if you can do that, and if that's something you want to support, we would really appreciate it. And we would really love to get that information from you and for you to open that persona. Um, and I'll head on out. And uh, like I said, in my closing remarks, uh, I like to just reiterate how um, I'm not originally from Cleveland Heights, but Cleveland Heights has been my second home. And it's like the place where I feel uh, close to everyone. It's where my second family is at. It's the family that I've chosen. And these are the uh, brothers and sisters, they're the, my family in Downhill Collective. We also have an album coming out. Not just Thorians, uh mixtape. The album's in the works. It's almost done. We're just figuring things out. We're just doing it in a pandemic. But, uh, you know, like I said, uh, this is my family. I want to fight for them uh, every day. And, uh, you know, just uh, I just love you guys. That's what I'm talking about, Phil. <laughs> King? Uh, I love you King. too, bro. Research King? <laughs> Thanks. But uh, also, you know, just calling out my Asian, uh, Asian Americans out there, Asian folk, uh, you know, silence equals violence is not just for the white folk. It's for us too. you know, we got to put out, you know, show up and show out as well. Uh, their oppression is our oppression. Like Chance said, this is just the white hegemonic state uh, and it's across the world. And, you know, we got to fight as well. Yo. And I, I, I appreciate y'all like, like, like expressing your like gratitude for even being on the show, but I just, you know, it, it's not even even like y'all being here and taking the time to express yourself and, 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 and share your thoughts with me, uh, even more so than, than what you already do is I'm incredibly grateful. And I'm sure that all the listeners, um, are incredibly grateful as well. Um, I just want to call out the listeners that like, you know, like just listening to this podcast is only step one. It's important to uh, like to support every single one of everyone on like on you know that's a, on the podcast right now all, in all of their initiatives. But as a group as a whole, you know, if you're not you know local to Cleveland or Cleveland Heights or anywhere in the area, support your local groups that are doing uh, similar work. You know, this is this is not just something that's happening in you know the city of Cleveland Heights or in Northeast Ohio, this is a nationwide struggle and has been a struggle since the country's inception. And so um, I want to thank, 
I want to thank all of y'all for being on the show. Like I already said, I'm incredibly grateful. And um, for all the listeners, read the episode description. Like, I'm good. Like, I can't stress it enough. Like, y'all, I don't need your DM saying that. How can I? It's in the episode description. So please just refer to all of that. Um, but yeah, if this is your first time listening to the show, uh, you just found it in passing, you can listen to Race to the Finish wherever you find your podcast. Don't forget to follow us on social media. And I hope to see y'all next time. All right, everyone. Thank you so much. And y'all have a great night. Bye-bye.